Listen, everybody, and it will set tears pouring from your eyes. For the Almighty has said, I shall wipe man whom I have created off the face of the earth. I am overwhelmed. I can't go on. Everywhere one turns, there is death and bitterness to be described. Gabriele de Musi lived in Piacenza, Italy. He wrote those words in the year 1348 in an effort to describe terrible events that were occurring during the first outbreak of the Black Death. Gabriele de Musi was a notary. His job was to verify and register important documents like marriages and land deeds, as well as the document that was all the rage in 1348, the will. As man, woman, and child fell sick and quickly died, both men and women clamored to complete their wills. The process was fairly simple. Here's an example. The will begins, In the name of Christ, Amen, July 29, 1348. Philippa, daughter of the late Eridus, wife of Philippensis Laurenti, butcher and citizen of the parish of San Felice, healthy in mind and senses, but sick in body, declares her will thus. She goes on to explain how and when she would like her finances to be dispersed. Philippa died 10 days later, another victim of the Black Plague. As Gabrielle de Musi said, everywhere one turns is death. Notaries, like Musi, would have a front row seat to the carnage of the plague. Are you surprised to learn that wills so similar to our modern wills existed in 1348? Surprisingly, they were old news by then. Wills very similar to modern wills were used in ancient Greece and Rome. However, back then, only men had the wills. By the time of the plague, it was common for men and women of means to have their wills outlined in a binding document. And, as is so common today, people frequently waited until the last minute to get their affairs in order. We saw that in Philippa's will. She waited until she was sick to put her will in place. So, in an effort to be better prepared than plague victims, let's talk about wills. Welcome to Death Becomes Her, the mini-cast where we spend five to ten minutes discussing death, dying, and grief from a variety of angles. I'm your host, Lyella Kelly. So how are we doing? By most estimates, anywhere from 50 to 60% of Americans don't have a will. If you're not white and moderately wealthy, you're even less likely to have one. Why not? 40% say they have just not gotten around to it. It's simple procrastination. Meanwhile, 33% said they just don't have enough assets to matter. 13% said estate planning process is too expensive. And 12% said they don't know how to get a will. It sounds like, as a culture, we need more information about wills, and I'm here to help. Are there different types of wills? Yes. Last episode, we talked about living wills, otherwise known as an advanced healthcare directive. The wills we are discussing today express a person's wishes as to how their property is to be distributed after their death, and there are a variety of those as well. So first, the holographic will. 
A holographic will is a document that has been entirely written, signed, and dated in one's own handwriting. There are a few caveats. There must be evidence that the testator, which is a fancy term for the person making the will, that that person actually created the will. That proof may come in the form of witnesses, handwriting experts, or other methods. The testator must have had the intellectual capacity to write the will, and the testator must be expressing a wish to direct the distribution of his or her estate to beneficiaries. But holographic wills are only legal in some states, so this isn't the best choice overall. However, if a person finds themselves in a dire situation such as being alone, trapped, and near death, so pretty specific situation, a holographic will could be drafted, but again, it has to be completely in one's own handwriting. Moving on to the next will, the mystic will. This one sounds kind of exotic, right? And it kind of is. A mystic will is completed, signed, and sealed all in secret. The willmaker delivers the sealed document to a notary public along with a signed statement that the document is a valid will. In front of witnesses, the notary records on the envelope the circumstances of the transaction, then the notary and the witnesses sign the envelope. And mystic wills are very exclusive. They're only applicable in the state of Louisiana. So for most of us, the mystic will isn't an option, but I include it just because I find it so interesting and dramatic that someone would make a secret will. What about an oral will? Can I just tell people what I want? Well, you're on shaky ground. An oral will, also called an uncupative will, is a will that's spoken to witnesses, but not written out. These wills are valid in a few states, but only in very limited and unusual circumstances, usually having to do with a mortally wounded soldier or sailor. The idea is that if someone is suddenly in imminent danger of death and can't make a written will, the person's last wishes could still be honored. Under certain circumstances, witnesses could testify to an oral will, but it would be an uphill battle to prove that that is, in fact, the deceased's wishes. But again, in most states, oral wills, they're not valid. A will must be written and signed. Considering the limits of these wills, it would be so much better and simple to create a will that is just that, a simple will. The simple will is a legal document that states who will inherit your assets and belongings after you pass away. It's what we most commonly think of when we hear the word will. And bonus, they are surprisingly easy to execute. You can even use free resources like those found at freewill.com to get started. For most people, that is a great place to start. If you feel like you have a complex situation or things that you aren't sure of, you could still start with a simple will and then take that to an estate planning attorney to work off of. You may even save yourself some planning fees by being well organized before you meet with the attorney. Maybe you're thinking, I really don't think all of this applies to me. Well, if that's the case, you're wrong. Most people think that when they die, their worldly possessions automatically go to the next of kin, even without a will. That is incorrect. 
In reality, if an individual dies without a will, probate courts get involved and they will help to determine how to distribute the assets. While there are many things in life that leave room for procrastination, creating a will isn't one of them. It's never too early to start the process of creating a will. With a detailed will in place, your family and loved ones can feel more secure in the case of an unexpected illness or even your untimely death. They won't have to guess what you wanted. There's less likely to be fights about who would raise your children or what should happen to your pets. And do you really want to leave your grieving family to deal with your unfinished business, legal entanglements, and complicated tax bills? I'm guessing that you don't want that. Maybe you're feeling a little self-congratulatory right now. Maybe you've already taken care of your advanced health care directive and your will. If so, I am so proud of you. Great work. My next question for you is how long has it been since you've revisited the decisions recorded in those documents? Has there been a falling out in any of your relationships? Has there been a marriage, divorce, or has someone named in the documents died? Have your children grown into adults? The decisions that we record in our end-of-life documents need to be revised occasionally, keeping everything up to date. Consider the case of David and Donna Ray Engelhoff. David and Donna were an unhappily married couple who decided to divorce. Two months after the divorce was finalized, David died in a car crash, leaving behind a life insurance policy and a pension plan. Although David had two children from a previous marriage, he had failed to designate them as beneficiaries after his divorce. Donna was still the listed beneficiary on both his life insurance and pension plan, and the proceeds were paid to her. David's children were his heirs under state law. They sued for the money, but ultimately lost the case. The money went to the ex-wife, and David's children were left with nothing but legal costs. David's story is a cautionary tale for all of us. Imagine the stress and anger that could have been avoided if he had dotted his I's and crossed his T's. This scenario isn't rare. It plays out day in and day out. The vast majority of the red tape and stress can be avoided if we take the time to face our mortality and do the paperwork. None of us can predict when our last day will be, so don't procrastinate. Give yourself and your loved ones the peace of mind that comes from knowing that you have your affairs in order. Taking something, in this case, something substantial off the plate of your grieving loved ones is a kindness. Get started today. Thank you for listening to the Death Becomes Her minicast. Connect with me, Lyella Kelly, at www.leavingwellmt.com. Special thanks to Roman Belove for our intro and outro music. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, talking about death won't kill you. I promise.